0: Well, it's really wonderful to be here preaching for you again. I've filled this pulpit a number of times, and it's always a pleasure to. It's always a good thing when someone, when you preach a church and they invite you back. That's that's like okay, I didn't I didn't uh, commit heresy or anything up there. <clears throat> but always a pleasure to be here with you. I'm glad that Richard uh, Richard and I served together on the shepherding committee, and I really enjoyed Richard. Glad he's getting a chance for a sabbatical this summer. So thankful that I could help him out a little bit and help y'all out. <clears throat> um, and just let me say this, uh, thank you so much for your prayers and for your support for RUF at Tennessee Tech. We are uh, just finishing year six and heading into year seven for that, so um, looking forward to uh, another year. We're going to be looking at a pretty famous parable this morning from Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And uh, in order for us, the, the it's a parable where Jesus really challenges, challenges us about what it looks like to love people. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a little allergies, so I may clear my throat. I have a cough drop in, so ask you to bear with me. Um, but as we read this, in order for the full effect to really take place, uh, to really kind of hit us where it's supposed to, remember that Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. These would have been people who very instinctively did not like Samaritans. Uh, the Samaritans were a different people group we'll talk about here in just a minute, um, but they really did not like Samaritans. And so the Samaritan is the hero of the story. And so, what I want to ask you to do is, as we're think, as we're reading the story, before we read this passage, I want you to think about a type of person that you instinctively don't enjoy, <laughs> someone that you don't like, uh, maybe someone who uh, with with whom you would disagree on really big issues, maybe someone who votes differently than you, or someone who is from a very different place than you, or someone, uh, you know, just someone who their personality just doesn't jive with yours. Someone that you just don't like, a type of person that you just don't like. And I want you to think about that as the good Samaritan. Let let it be the good fill-in-the-blank for you, whatever that may be. Um, And with that, let's let's give our attention to God's word. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was also going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. <clears throat> but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him into the inn, <clears throat> to an inn. And took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. <clears throat> Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. <clears throat> Excuse me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go to God this morning and ask him for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Lord, we thank you for this story which um, your son told uh, to an audience thousands of years ago, and yet it's been recorded, and here it is for us. It was a story which I'm sure challenged this lawyer. It challenged the people who heard it. Lord, I pray that it would challenge us, that it would convict and encourage us. I pray this morning, O oh Lord, that we would see the Lord Jesus. I pray you would sustain my voice. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So one of the things that I've noticed as a, an RUF pastor over the last six years is at the end of the semester, all my students turn into like mathematicians. And they're calculating, you know, exactly what, how they need to perform on their, final, on their final project, their final exams, in order to get the grade that they want, <clears throat> you know. And so I hear some of them say, well, okay, if I just get a 70 on the final, then I'll get a B in the class, you know. Like, and some of them, they're trying to, like, assuage their anxieties and their fear. Some of them are just trying to find out what's the absolute minimum work that I can do in studying for this in order to get the grade that I want. And we sort of do that too, don't we? We do that in a lot of areas of life. Okay, what's the minimum work that I can put in and still get the results that I want? And that's basically what this lawyer is doing with Jesus, right? He comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? How do I get to heaven? <clears throat> and Jesus, as is often the case, answers his question with a question. And he says, well, what does the Old Testament law say and how do you, how do you interpret it? How do you understand it? And so the lawyer has done his homework. He's prepared. He says, he quotes the two greatest commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes, that's right. <clears throat> and Jesus is not saying here, I think we, we all know, if you've been around uh, this church for a while, I'm sure you know this, Jesus is not saying that you have to obey laws in order to be a Christian. We know from all over the Bible that salvation is by grace through faith alone. It's not something that we can earn or work. It's a gift of God's free grace to us. But what Jesus is saying here is that a person who receives God's grace, a person who is in a relationship with God, a true saving relationship, is a person who has a heart that has been changed by God. And they're a person who has a heart that's been changed by God, and they're a person who is, is someone who will genuinely love God and love other people. They're someone who will, that will bear that fruit in their lives. <clears throat> But that's not really how this lawyer is understanding these two commandments. He's thinking, okay, this is something I have to do, something I have to earn and achieve. And we know that because of verse 29, right, that he says he was desiring to justify himself. He was desiring to keep this law, these laws in such a way that he thought he would earn salvation. He would would earn and merit eternal life. He's just trying to prove that he's good enough. That he's moral enough to earn eternal life to earn god's favor and so he's like my students doing the mental calculations at the end of the semester trying to think okay do i have enough maybe i already got what depending on how this this whole love your neighbor thing is graded depending on what the curve is maybe i've already achieved this maybe I already have what i need maybe i'm good enough maybe i maybe i've already made the cut and as you read through the gospels we see this sort of thing all the time, that people come to Jesus <clears throat> and they're like, okay, what do I need to do? Jesus, tell me what to do. And that's perhaps how we often approach Jesus as well. Jesus, tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what to do to, to, be, to get blessings. Tell me what to do to be in good with you. Give me a checklist. Give me the Cliff Notes version. Boil it down for me. What's required to be saved? What's required to, to inherit eternal life to be good? What's the minimum that I need to do to get God's love, to get his favor, to be accepted, to be a good Christian? And, and perhaps we, we ask those questions as well, right? And Jesus usually answers those questions when people come to him and say, what do I need to do? He usually sort of spins it around. He says, it's really not so much what you do. It's what kind of person are you, right? <clears throat> what, Jesus wants us to think about what's going on inside of us. What is going on in our hearts, What is our character like? What is the fruit that our lives are bearing? What is our heart's posture towards God and towards other people? And what this lawyer is asking, he's asking for Jesus to draw a defined boundary and say, tell me exactly who I have to love, exactly who is inside and who's outside. Who is it okay for me to exclude? And Jesus sort of tells the story, the Good Samaritan, that blows up that, that whole question. It blows up any concept of a boundary and calls us to something truly radical. So two things I want us to see from this, the, the passage this morning. I want us to see love limited, and I want us to see love lived out. Again, I, I appreciate your bearing with me this morning with my voice. <clears throat> so in response to the question, who is my neighbor? Jesus tells us a story of a man who is on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, which would have been about 17 miles. um, And it also would have been a steep descent. There was about a 3,200 feet elevation difference between uh, Jerusalem and Jericho. So it would have been a long downward trek. And as this man is on the road, these robbers find him. They beat him. they, They rob him. They leave him half dead in the ditch. And as he's lying there, Jesus tells us a priest comes by along the road. And he sees the body of this man, and he actively avoids him. This morning... So I was driving here on on I-24, maybe two minutes before I got to this one spot, it looked like a deer had run out in the road. Um, a, A truck had hit it, and so everyone, the traffic slowed down, everyone's like giving a wide berth. This deer's like right in the middle of the road, lying there, everyone's kind of giving a wide berth around it, trying to avoid it. And that seems like that's what this guy did. He sees a dead body on the side of the road, he moves to the other side of the road, he avoids him. And then here comes a Levite, which is someone else who would have had responsibilities for serving in the temple. He does the same, same thing. <clears throat> he passes by on the other side of the road. And Jesus doesn't tell us why they avoided this wounded man, why they didn't stop and help. Maybe they're in a hurry to get home. Maybe they're on an important errand. Maybe they didn't want to, you know, if this was a dead body, and they touched this dead body, they would risk becoming ceremonially unclean. Maybe they don't want to do that. <clears throat> maybe they just don't want to get involved. They just don't want to, they just don't want to get, maybe, maybe they think this is a trap. The, the robbers are still nearby and they don't want to get involved in this let's just keep on, let's just keep on trucking let's just get, get out of here but here's the point Jesus is making by having these two religious guys come by and pass by that being outwardly religious doesn't necessarily mean that you really love other people in other words you can do and say all the right things religiously and yet in your heart there can be actually no real love for others which means there's really no love for God either Jesus is inviting this lawyer to take an honest look at his heart to see if he's really like this priest and this Levite. And the very nature of the lawyer's question sort of indicates that he is. It tells us that the posture of his heart is not really geared towards others, not really geared towards God. It's about justifying himself. Again, this lawyer wants to know what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus is saying, look, it's not the stuff you do, it's what's in your heart. Do you have a heart of stone or a heart of flesh? Has your heart been radically changed by God's grace? Is there a love for God that is flowing, and love for others that is flowing from a changed heart? But what the lawyer is wanting is a boundary that is drawn so he knows exactly who he's required to love. And who is who's it not okay to love? Who is it okay for me not to love? And this is sort of like, you know, asking what's the information that's going to be on the test? Do I really need this or can I ignore it? Who am I expected to love and who is it safe for me to ignore? And we still do this too, don't we? We find, we give ourselves permission often to not love certain types of people. We might say, well, <clears throat> you know, this person's a different religion for me or a different denomination than me or, or maybe they hold different political views or maybe they're in the same denomination but they just view things very differently or... Um, they look different, they act different, they think different. They don't have the same values as me. They don't, they don't educate your children the same way that I do. And we may, think, <coughs> we may think and say the meanest things about those types of people. And we think that we're justified in doing so. And we put them outside the boundary of who, who, of, of who our neighbor is. And this is even worse when we ignore someone who's in need, right? Someone who needs a friend, someone... <coughs> Who needs a lonely person who needs someone uh, to listen to them? Someone who needs a ride to the grocery store? Or someone who needs an invitation to your home for a home cooked meal? Someone who needs fellowship? Someone who needs to be checked on because you haven't seen them at church for a while? But we tell ourselves that we have really good reasons for not doing those things, right? We're really busy. I mean, I'm sure the priests in the Levite had really good reasons why they couldn't stop. <clears throat> we can always come up with good reasons. Why not to help someone who is in need of help? We're swamped at work. We already had plans. Our family is crazy busy. Um, you know, we have lots of, the kids are, the kids have lots of extra, extracurriculars that they're involved with. But the truth is, it would disrupt our plans and it would disrupt our comfort too much often. <clears throat> i want to tell you a true story. As I was writing this sermon, this is an embarrassing story. As I was writing this sermon, one of my children was outside playing. I have three kids, 10, 8, and 5. One of my kids was outside playing, and she cut her foot. And she ran into the house. It wasn't like severe, but it was like bleeding a little bit. She ran into the house, and I'm sitting at my laptop working. And she says, Daddy, Daddy, please help. I've cut my foot. And I, st- I didn't say the words, okay, but I started to feel the words come to my lips of saying, I can't help you right now. I'm doing something else that's really important. Like, I started to feel those words come to my lips, come to my tongue. And then I thought, that's exactly what this sermon is about. That's exactly what I'm preaching about. I can't do that. I can't say those words. And so it was a good moment because, like, the Lord convicted me, and and, uh, I said, okay, let me help you. Let's let's take a look at this foot. But, like, that's an example, though, of how easy it is, even when we're thinking about it, how easy it is for us to uh, have a good reason not to help someone have a good reason why we can't help another person. What we see in this, in this priest and this Levite, what we see in this lawyer, and what I saw in myself as I was writing the sermon, what we can often see in our own hearts is that a limited love is really no love at all. That just by asking the question, who is my neighbor, we've already missed the point. Because love never takes the posture of what's the minimum that I can do to get a passing grade. That's not love, right? That's self-interest, that's self-centeredness, that's selfishness. A better question for us to ask is, what does it look like for me to really and truly love the people in my life? And really, Jesus is the one who shows us that better than anyone, right? What does it look like to love sacrificially? He shows us what that looks like. He invites us to to receive that from him and to follow him in that and showing it to, to others. He gives us the ability to do that through our union with him. Let's think for a few months here about love lived out, our second point this morning. We see love lived out in the actions of the Samaritan, don't we? Jesus is doing a little storytelling jujitsu here, as I mentioned, right? He's talking to a Jewish audience, and he's made the hero of his story, a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans were uh, people from a region called Samaria that was next to, right nearby, next to Judea and, and Galilee. And they were the offspring of Jewish people who had intermarried with non-Jewish people and had children. And so even though the Samaritans believed in Yahweh, even though they followed the Torah, they they worshiped in the same way, the Jewish people really looked down on them. To to so much, so much so that they would, like if they were on a journey and they had to travel through Samaria, they would actually travel around Samaria just to avoid going through there. <clears throat> they won't have nothing to do with it. And yet Jesus is using the Samaritan in the story to break down any attempt to draw a boundary around the people that we don't want to love. <clears throat> He's saying, listen, even your enemies, even, even a Samaritan is your neighbor. They're made in God's image. They're worthy recipients of your love. So what do we learn about loving our neighbors in this story? What do we learn about from looking at the Samaritan? I mean, we learn, first of all, that it begins with compassion. I mean, we see that in verse 33, right? That we're told that he was traveling along the road, he sees the wounded man in the ditch, and he has compassion for him he cares for him he cares about his needs he cares about the fact that he's in trouble that he has this problem he has a desire and feels an obligation to help but love is is love is just more than like a vague sense of goodwill towards a person a, a vague sense of positive feelings towards someone love must be expressed through action and we see the samaritan acting out his love and caring for this man's needs you know sometimes in christian circles it's it's really easy for us to elevate spiritual needs to such a degree that we completely overlook physical needs but imagine how ridiculous it would be if the samaritan were to stop and and only think about spiritual needs and if he were to stop and say hey man i can see you're hurting pretty bad right here but let me read you a few bible verses that will really speak to the situation that you're in right now and cheer you up or here's a book about how god is with us near to us in our suffering i'm gonna leave it right here next to you and just gonna be on my way and that's crazy, right? It's silly, but, but sometimes that's how, that's how we are. That's how I am, right? With, with other people's problems. But James speaks to this very thing in his letter. In James chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, listen to this. He, James says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? Like even James draws attention to that, that we see a physical need... Love requires a physical response. And so what are the needs in your home today? What are the needs in your neighborhood? What are the needs in this church? What are the needs in your school, and your workplace? What are the needs in the places that you visit and frequent? What are the needs that are right in front of you? What opportunities to care for others in tangible ways has God placed in your path? So the Samaritan stops and he tends to the man's wounds and he does his best to to help the man's most pressing and immediate needs, right? To prevent him from dying in this ditch. He also doesn't leave the man in the ditch, right? He puts him on his own donkey. He takes him to the nearest inn. Uh, And at this point, whatever plans the Samaritan had are delayed, right? He's given his time and his energy to help out this poor man. So the second thing we see here uh, is that loving your neighbor means going above and beyond what is required, Instead of asking, what's the bare minimum I can do to love my neighbor, we ask, how would I want someone to love me if I were in this situation? That seems to be what the Samaritan's doing. What would I want someone to do for me if I was the one lying in a ditch, beaten and robbed? That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, after all, to care for the needs of others in the exact way that you would want them to care for your own needs. So the Samaritan pays the innkeeper two denarii, which was about two days' wages, He says, listen, take care of him, and when I come back, whatever other costs have been incurred, I will pay you back. He gives freely of his time and his energy and his money to save this man's life. The final thing we see here is that loving your neighbor means meeting their needs without expecting anything in return. There's never talk about how this wounded man is going to pay back what the Samaritan has done. The Samaritan helps without any assurances that, uh, you know, his, his time and energy and money will be recouped. In fact, the wounded man is completely passive in this entire, in this whole story. In fact, we don't even know how much of this he's actually conscious for. We have no idea. You know, sometimes we can be pretty shrewd account keepers, can't we, with other people? Well, I did this for you, so, but you didn't even say thank you, you know? So you didn't return the favor. I, I had a get-together, and I invited you to my get-together, and then you had a get-together and didn't invite me. Really loving our neighbor means not keeping records of, what, of who did what for whom. Real love means giving away our time and our energy and our money to be a blessing to others without expecting anything in return, even a thank you. Thank yous are nice, but we should give from a heart that, that is, delights to give even if there's no thank you. What would it look like for you and me to show the sacrificial love of Jesus to others in our lives in this way? So I, I want to kind of address different, different relationships we have in the room. So first, kids, I want to talk to you. No one ever talks to the kids from up here. I want to talk to you kids, okay? I want to talk to you for a second. What would it look like for you to love your brother or your sister uh, in the way that Jesus is telling us to love one another this way? It would probably look like sharing with them, wouldn't it? It would probably look like being gentle and kind with them. Uh, what would it look like for you kids, still talking to you kids, still talking to you, guys? Okay? what would it look like for you to love your parents in this way? It would probably look like you listening to them and not whining as much <laughs> or complaining as much. All right, parents, what about you and me as a parent? What would it look like for us to love our children as we love ourselves, it would require more patience, I'm sure. It would require us to watch our tones, the tones of our voice, the things that we say to our kids, the way we make them feel when they've spilt a cup of milk. Husbands and wives, what would it look like for you to love your spouse as you love yourself? It would look like outdoing one another in love instead of keeping a record of, of what you've done for each other and, throwing, and bringing that up in fights and stuff. But what about loving your friends as you love yourself? What would it look like for us to love our friends? Well, we wouldn't just use them for what they can give us and then drop them or ignore them when we don't need them. It would mean trying to give them the benefit of the doubt, of the doubt when they maybe have done something that, that feels like it's let us down. It would mean realizing that, that your friend had a, had a, maybe had a rough day and needs, and needs time, needs to talk. Even if you had other plans, they might need a meal. They might need encouragement. They might need something. What would it look like for us to love others at church <clears throat> in this way? It would mean reaching out to the lonely and depressed in our midst, checking on each other, inviting people to, inviting people to church or inviting people from church to your home, making time for people who, who are very different from you, even the people in this room that are hard for you to get along with, maybe the people who you think on paper you have nothing in common with. Look, it would look like making time for them, reaching out to them. It would mean seeking peace and reconciliation with people with whom you're at odds." You know, there's a story uh, that I'm gonna tell you right now, and uh, it's, I don't know if it's true. To be honest, it sounds like a preacher story, okay? You know what I'm talking about, the preacher stories. Uh, they're like, there's, there's no, you know, whatever. I probably heard it from another preacher, and I'm gonna tell it. but hey, I'm a preacher, and I'm preaching, so I feel like I could use a preacher story. So um, all that to say, <laughs> there's, there's a story. Probably not true, but whatever. There was a little girl who was very ill, and she needed a blood transfusion. It was a very rare type of blood. And she had a twin brother. So the the blood bank was out of this type of blood. They asked the brother, hey, will you give some blood to to your sister, your twin sister who needs it? And the boy thought it over and he agreed. He said, okay. So they started the blood transfusion and they started to draw the blood. And they finished. And the boy said, when will I start to die? Like he had thought giving blood was a lethal procedure. Right? That he would die, he would have to die so that his sister could live. And whether that story is true or not, it doesn't matter. There's a truth in there, right? That in order for us to really love other people, in order for us to really love our neighbors, we have to be willing to die. We have to be willing to die in both big and small ways. We have to be willing to let our plans be disrupted. We have to be willing to give up our comfort and our time and our energy and our money. We have to be willing to stop asking what's in it for me we have to be willing to look at every person, even our, even our enemies, as our neighbors. We have to be willing to remove all boundaries and all the limits that we've set on our love, on who our neighbor is. <clears throat> Loving our neighbor means being aware of the needs of the people around us and freely giving to them our time and our energy and our money to help them without expecting anything in return. And you know, uh, one of the hard parts about being a parent is like you tell your kids to do things and they're good things that you're telling them to do, like pick up your shoes in the floor, don't leave your shoes in the floor. And then your kids say, well, but dad, your shoes are in the floor. And you say, don't worry about that. Okay. I'm just, this is still a good thing I'm telling you to do. Okay. Uh, it's, the, the hard part of being a parent is that at some point we're all hypocrites, right? The hard part of being a preacher is at some point I'm a hypocrite. You know, I'm going to say things that I struggle to do. And so here's one of those examples, right? We are all going to fail in this. We are going to fail in loving our neighbors as ourselves. I'm going to fail, uh, likely before the day's even out. I'm going to fail in this, that I, this thing that I've been talking to you about for 20 minutes. But here's the best part of this story, that Jesus is not a hypocrite, that, that Jesus practiced what he preached, that, that Jesus is the best picture, the best example of what it looks like to live out, to, to, to see love lived out that Jesus lived out love even more than the good Samaritan, that Jesus had compassion on you and me, that he saw us on the side of the road and he stopped for us. And his love led him into action that he put on flesh and he took the form of a servant and he lived a perfect life. He dwelt among us. He died on the cross. He defeated our sins and death. He rose from the grave. He did all of that because he loves us. He went above and beyond what is required He provided everything necessary for your salvation and for mine. And on the night before he died, Jesus is in a garden praying to his father. He's praying that if there's any way that God's people can be saved without him going to the cross, that that would happen. And yet he submits himself to his father's will. And the next day he went to the cross. He gave up his comfort and his time and his energy and his very life he gave up. To save us. And the Bible says He did that for us while we were still His enemies. He did it for sinners like you and me. He didn't look at us as enemies, He looked at us as His neighbors. His love came to us when we were outsiders, and He has brought us in and made us insiders with God. He loved us when we were far off, and He's brought us near. He's made us sons and daughters of God. And when you know Jesus, when you are united to him, when you are captivated by the love of Jesus, it it changes you from the inside out. It changes your heart. It produces within you a love for God and a love for others that is genuine and sincere and real. And the only way that you and I are going to love God and love others the way that this passage talks about is if we know Jesus. If we are united to him in faith, if we are following him, and he changes your heart. His love for us is what enables us and what teaches us how to love one another. Jesus invites us to receive his love and to let his love drive us to love God and to love our neighbors without boundary and without limits the way that he's loved us. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, which motivated you to send your son. We thank you for the love of Jesus for us that is so deep and wide, the love that sent him to the cross for us. Lord, I pray that that love, that we would know it and experience it, it would change us. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.